All right, here we have Karen Esprea, interior designer from New York, representing over here. I'm in New York as well. Karen, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. You are a friend that we linked up through Courtney Lukic. How do you know Courtney? I've been working with Courtney for a number of years. I was with my old firm. She was our marketing and PR person, and we became very friendly. And when I started my own more like boutique type of interior design company, I reached out to her to give me a couple of like pointers, and we wound up working together again. She's been an incredible support and friend of mine for the past six or seven years at this point. She's wonderful to work with, and anybody who's looking for an amazing marketing and press strategist should reach out to her as well. Yep. I I second that. She was amazing to work with and amazing to interview. And I hope you guys did enjoy that interview. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about how you got into the interior designing space? Well, I went to Pratt Institute for Fine Arts. And after a year and a half of being, I guess, you know, with a focus on fine arts, I did a tour of the campus and I came across the industrial design and interior design building. And everything in that building just spoke to me. It was perfectly straight. Everything was thought about. You know, the lighting was beautiful and I kind of felt a little bit of a calling towards it. It was interesting to me to be able to create occupiable art in a way instead of putting your feelings onto a canvas or some type of digital platform where you're looking at a two-dimensional image. It was very interesting to me to be able to create spaces that could be occupied. So it's like you're taking your art onto a canvas and folding it up into three dimensions so that somebody could actually live in that space. Right. I also think that it's very interesting how much your surroundings impact the way that you live. So what an interior designer does has a great influence on the way that people use a space, move through it, feel when they're inside of it. So having, having positive feedback about the spaces you create for people to live in is like a very rewarding experience. That's like the ultimate, you know, ultimate goal here is that the end user is happy. And, you know, when that happens, it's a really nice feeling because you know that you're kind of, you kind of set the stage for them to live their lives in. So in how long have you been in interior design? I may miss that. At this point, it's been 15 years that I've been in this industry. How much have you seen style change in homes over the last 15 years? Well. The work that I started my career with was more commercial work. So I was designing luxury condominium buildings, which is heavily dictated by the market fluctuations and like what's popular within the real estate market. And then about four or five years ago, I started to transition into doing more private residences, which is also driven by the real estate market, like the multifamily development world. But there's a much more like personal, you know, spin on each element. So it's a much more exact science to do a private home. There's a different kind of science that goes into doing commercial projects. So it really depends on what kind of project we're talking about. Right. And so geographically, right, you mentioned surroundings. I'm assuming you mean surroundings as far as where you're at, right? Are you in downtown New York or are you down in Florida, right? Is that, is that what you mean by surroundings? I meant like the actual four walls that surround you. Okay. Okay. So well, like you, but also your your building, like whatever you're building, is in context to its surroundings. So in context to its neighborhood location, are you near the beach? Are you in the city? 
you know, are we in the mountains? So that context applies as well. Yes. Do most of your projects take place in the city? I would say probably about 60% of my projects are in the five boroughs. Yeah. And it's a good mix of commercial properties where they're renovating like lobbies for like big 40, 50 story buildings, amenity lounges, office space sometimes. And then I, my private clients are mostly like penthouses, townhouses, you know, condo buildings, that kind of stuff. And then how do you go about generating clients? So there's a multifaceted marketing strategy here. In terms of the marketing strategy for for my business, and, and you know, this may be unique to my business, so I can speak to what I know. My business model is almost exclusively word of mouth. And this is considered a luxury type of service. So clients will recommend me, my friends will recommend me, contractors, mill workers, you know, people within the industry will recommend me to their friends and family. And that's how I generate almost 100% of my business. That's amazing. Um, and then l- let's talk money for a second. How does the, you know, the fee structure work? How do you go about getting paid? Does it go by, you know, price per square foot or specific material? Why don't you dissect that a little bit? Sure. I think that the profession of being an interior designer is somewhat misunderstood. I think that a lot of people look at the industry and think decorator, like somebody who just comes in and does, you know, pillows and curtains and soft finishes and like accessories, but it's actually much more detailed than that. My business has a design build element. So I partner with a general contractor. So I'm actually running the whole show. And I'm saying this to kind of set the stage for how the fee structures break down. I believe that there is actually no limit to how financially successful you can be as an interior designer because there are so many different ways to be profitable. So number one, the design has to be there. People need to be intrigued by this. Like the design has to be sexy and beautiful and people need to want it. That's number one. Typically what I do is I'll put together a base design fee and that kind of covers overhead, profit. You know, it's like hours that go into a project by a multiple times whatever percentage. And that, and you know, we come to like a bulk design number and that will usually cover about six months of design to about a year right? It almost acts as a monthly retainer. Like I'll take that fee and then break it down over however many months we are allotting for that project. And on top of that, anything that the client purchases, I put a commission on top of. So I buy all the materials, the tile, the stone, wood flooring, furniture, you know, whatever the material may be. I buy that at a discounted trade rate. And then I put a markup on that, but it's never more than retail. So my clients are not paying more than they would at a store because what would be the point then? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So I try to keep it reasonable. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And I appreciate you sharing that all with us. And I'm sure that's very valuable for everyone listening here. So now why don't you dissect a little bit your ideal client avatar? You know, if you could in a perfect world work with a specific niche, who would that be? So for residential clients where we're doing their private homes, My favorite type of client is one who loves my aesthetic, like my personal design aesthetic, and has somewhat of an unlimited budget because the amount of money that you can spend on your home ranges wildly 
And, you know, what always happens is you'll take a client to a stone yard or a showroom. And of course, they always walk straight to the most expensive item in the room. You can't help it. It happens all the time. So when clients have a big budget to work with, it means that they can get what they want and feel good about the purchases that they're making. And for the developer clients that I work for, so it's helpful for me, like my ideal development client would be somebody who knows exactly what their budget is and exactly what percentage of that budget is going to be allotted to which type of materials. What would you say your your style is? Obviously this is a you know an audio podcast, but like what would your style mirror or, or look like? I think that overall my style is classic with a lot of modern details. Mm. So I like to use natural materials. Like you'll see a lot of whitewashed oak in my design work. You'll see a lot of hand-finished metals. I like the materials to kind of be what they are. I don't like to add decorative elements unless they serve a function. I studied in Copenhagen, and I think that that Scandinavian type of design education really kind of informed my aesthetic, you know, as I move forward in my career. And if you look at my work over the past 15 years, you'll, you know, you'll see it like any artist, the work kind of matures and develops over time. And I think that's really interesting. It's like, there's nothing static about it. Right. Right. What has your favorite project been up to this point in your career and why? Um, oh my goodness. <laughs> They're all my babies. I don't know if I can say that I have an like an absolute favorite one. I'm working on a really gorgeous condo Tribeca right now. And I will give a lot of credit to the client, the owner of this property. He came to me with the appropriate budget and he really liked my aesthetic. So right now I'm so happy working on that project because I get to put my really put my own my own design out there and we have the budget to cover all the elements of the design. So right now I'm very happy with this project in Tribeca. They're all very personal to me and I, I can't really tell you that I have a favorite one. Mm. I can tell you that there are some projects that took years off my life. Like there are some that right. really stressed me out. What is it that what is it that that stresses you out? Like what would, what would be some things that just drive you nuts or things that are just stressful? Like a, what are some of the, what's some of the baggage that comes with the career? Oh my goodness. How much time do we have? I don't like to blame things on COVID, but this industry before COVID, all of the people who, all of the vendors, the suppliers, manufacturers, like they were always consistently hungry for new projects and new work. And they were able to get product out there quickly. Everybody knew what their pricing structure was and things just happened efficiently. I'm not really sure what happened between 2020 and now, but that just doesn't seem to be the case anymore. And it creates endless frustration. Nothing gets delivered on time. Pieces don't come assembled the way that they should come assembled. I've had sofas show up. And I mean, I have clients who are spending $20,000, $30,000 on a sofa and it comes in the wrong fabric. It came backwards. The legs were missing. It's, you know, those parts of the job are very frustrating. Number one, because the client looks at you like, hey, what the hell is going on here? And number two, now I have to spend unlimited hours rectifying all of these issues that I didn't cover in my base fee. Yeah, that was a big follow-up question that I had when we, when it came to COVID. I know COVID would have popped up at some point here. How is the 
the shift in material price and, you know, obviously the efficiency in logistics, getting to things on time. I know you shed light on it, but in terms of budgeting, how much have you had to, you know, from a percentage standpoint in a ballpark number, have had to mark things up since last year, year on end? 30% overall. That's incredible. That is insane. Yes. I have a lot of clients who were looking at buying property at the beginning of 2020. The deals didn't go through for a long time. We all know why. I put together budgets for them in the beginning of 2020 because that's how I work. Like I'll give a client my proposal plus a spreadsheet showing them line by line an allowance for each item that they're going to need to spend money on so that they have an idea of a bulk number of what their renovation will cost. Now that the projects are actually moving forward in 2021 and going into Q, you know, probably Q3, finishing out these projects, Q3 2022, on every single project, it has been between a 30 and 35% increase overall. That's over labor, materials, soft costs, like engineers and like mechanical drawings, architectural drawings, which is a tremendous number. We're talking about millions of dollars. We're talking, yeah, we're talking about a lot, a lot of money. And the part of this that's so frustrating for the end user, for the client, is they made this purchase and they calculated the cost of their renovation based on the market numbers. So, you know, what we do is we take the value, we take the sale price estimate the value over five to 10 years, because that's usually the amount of time that people will sell or flip, you know, their home and say, okay, this is a safe number for you to spend on a renovation because you're going to make this money back. Now that's not the case anymore. Mm -hmm. So they're spending, you know, way more than they thought they would and kind of hoping that they'll just break even. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a real concern for people. That's a, that's what another question of mine. You know, when working with you, you know, how much of a factor does the home getting reappraised? You know, are you able to force appreciate that property for your client? Obviously, outside of the situation you just talked about. Yes, I I have been working with developers and financers for the majority of my career, so I understand how the real estate market works, and I understand. A lot of the design work that I'm doing when I'm when I'm designing for luxury condominium buildings is it has to be beautiful and alluring, but still classic and relevant over a long period of time. And I try to bring that that type of mindfulness into these private residences also because people sell their homes. It happens. Like if I went into somebody's house and painted all the walls red, it's doing them a tremendous disservice. So I like to look at comps in the neighborhoods when my clients are buying. A lot of the times they come to me before they've made the purchase. We look at comparable properties, you know, within the 10 or 20 block radius, see what they're selling for, what kind of materials they used, etc. The same mentality applies to when I'm designing multifamily buildings, what other buildings around you have sold, how much have they sold for, how many amenities do they have? Do they have a basketball court? Do they have a pool, a sauna, steam room, like whatever it is. So I try to take this holistic approach and add as much value as I can to the property, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, you know, a question of mine would be, how much, obviously we're working with, you know, relatively high net worth clients. And so all these people have an entire team of, you know, real estate agents, all these people, 
How much of your time goes into, you know, conferring with the real estate agent, the, you know, the CPA, the financial advisor? Do you have any relationships with them to be able to figure out the budget, how much you should spend, what things should look like? Absolutely. 100%. A lot of my clients have, as you mentioned, you know, these are high level. These are people that operate at a high level, so they definitely have resources. But I do have brokers who are very good friends within the industry that I will show my projects to beforehand and analyze them. So yes, I, I, I do that. And I'm be honest with you, I'm not sure that that's something that every design professional does or understands. Yeah, yeah so, it makes complete you know, sense. When, when, I, when I was a partner at a larger firm previously, now I have a more boutique office. But what happened was a lot of the real estate developers that I used to work for designing their like large commercial buildings came to me or recommended me to their friends and family to do the private homes because they knew that I was analyzing the market before I designed anything. So what I remember you, you just mentioned here that you were with like kind of a larger overarching firm and then you decided to go off on your own. So Karen, what was it like going into business for yourself and what has life been like for you since then professionally and personally? And, and are you glad that you took the leap? At first, it was very frightening for me. Um, on a personal note, I had just had a massive kidney operation and I, everything in my life kind of changed all at one time. And I wasn't really sure what would happen. I took a little bit of a leap of faith, but it turns out that I have some very good friends in the industry and people who were so supportive. I'm extremely grateful for all the people that reached out to me to like, you know, say congratulations and just like, hey, I have a friend who's doing X, Y, and Z, like they'd love to work with you. And I just started doing small things. At first, I set up a little home office and I was doing some small commercial gallery spaces. And and then things kind of grew from there. Like one project just led to the next, led to the next. And like I said, it's been an amazing experience to operate my business purely on word of mouth. Yeah, that, that level of it being so organic, I feel like fosters a lot of relationships that, that you are choosing to be a part of as things you have to be a part of. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. What um, is it? I'm, Go ahead. Well, I'm really happy with, with the way that I've set myself up. You know, I have a small team now. The projects are quality over quantity. And I think that aspect of having a more, like having the option to choose is the ultimate goal because, you know, you develop a relationship with your clients and it could take a year or two or three to build, building a home. You know, you develop a long-term relationship with your clients and you are in their home with their families, with their children. You know, you're kind of involved in their lives. You understand what's going on in their personal and private lives because you are literally setting the whole stage for them to live their lives in. So it's very flattering to me every time somebody recommends me because these people know that I will be in their house all the time. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the steps that go into working with you, like from being introduced to someone to, you know, finishing the project? I always think that it's better when somebody engages with me while they're still looking for property, whether that's looking for a house or looking for land, because then I can really come with all of my resources, all of my marketing resources, with my 
questions and just like bring the wealth of knowledge for the for the maximum value add. That's you know, that's like best case scenario. From there, I will have a few meetings as a courtesy. Like I don't charge for initial meetings. I think it's really important to get to know the people that you're going to be working with. It's it's almost as important, as important for me to interview them as it is for them to interview me. And then I'll start to work a budget, you know, very broad stroke and design fee, like proposal and go through each part of the house that they want me to design. And then from there, we'll meet with the architect and the contractor. And then I, you know, I go through my creative process. I'll set up all, I'll set up design presentations, 3D renderings, material samples to really give them a very good understanding of what the house will actually look like. And then we start to order things. We start to buy things. I have a few storage facilities, one in Jersey and one in Long Island, and have the materials sent to the storage facilities and kind of hold them there until the contractor's ready for them. So, and then everything gets installed, you know, as it, as it's needed, gets installed. And that's kind of helped me streamline the process a little bit. Awesome. And then the overarching, I guess, step every step of the way, the overarching part is you are pretty much in the driver's seat. You're you're in this role of basically being the leader of the pack, so to speak. Or, you know, I imagine there's times where couples or, or individuals you're working with are leaning on you for your expertise and you're able to kind of steer the ship where it needs to go, right? So, you know, this po- the name of our podcast is called the Learn Lead Podcast. So maybe talk a little about leadership, what it means to your and your career, you know, and, and you know, how, how you're, you know, being a good listener and, and, and taking into account different perspectives and opinions and styles and things like that. What el- What does all that kind of culminate into this leadership role for you? I think that you have to have no fear of, of making a final decision. Ultimately, I believe that people in general know what they like, they know what they don't like, but they're they're hesitant to make a call. And I've after doing this for 15 years, I've come to make intuitive decisions very quickly and I, you know, I I lean on my gut instincts, but also if you're sitting in a room with the contractor, with the client, with the with the financer, like you know, there's a lot of voices in these rooms. Taking all of that information, filtering it, and then explaining it to the client in a way that makes sense is really very helpful for them, and it helps them feel comfortable with pulling the trigger on whatever decision it might be. I also think that it's very important to have knowledge from each of the voices in the room. So like I do a lot of construction administration and I know how contractors put their fee structures together. So when he, when the contractor says something, I understand where he's coming from. The same goes for every trade in the room. So I really try to be um, aware of what everybody's needs are, but at the end of the day, I'm representing my client. So I think you kind of have to be a little bit gutsy to go into a situation like that, especially when you're dealing with somebody's money and time. You know, I like to be very respectful. I try to be very respectful of my clients' money and time. So I think that does put me in the driver's seat, the seat that I've gotten comfortable being in. Of course, I don't know everything. And I, you know, I like to ask a lot of questions. And I think that it's just really important to educate yourself constantly to be able to be in that leadership role. Wow. So well said. So well said, Karen. It seems like you wear so many hats and you do such an efficient job doing it or else, you know, Courtney would have never, you know, referred us your way. So thank you so much for sharing all that stuff. I'm I'm really excited to look more into your work, um, possibly, you know, use some of your services and 
really excited to you know link people up with you so that they can you know be aware of what you're doing. Speaking of which, do you mind telling our listeners how we can follow you, how we can learn about your stuff, social media, websites, things like that? Yes, absolutely. And I would love to work together. If you have a project that you're looking at, you can always call me. You can take a look at my Instagram, which is just Karen Espreya Studio, or my website, which is karenespreya.com, and you'll see everything there. I mean, I have a few press articles that are listed in my website, so there's some interesting stuff in there too. Awesome. Well, Karen, is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners off with before we wrap this up? Uh, sure. If you're going out, if you're a designer, and you are going to go out on your own, don't only rely on your, your aesthetics as an artist. You have to partner yourself up with a support system. It's very important to have people who will support you, mentor you, people that are experienced in the business, somebody who will listen to your needs and give you back, give you feedback. That's so, so important. I have so many people that I'm able to call on who are far more experienced than me, and it has been invaluable. So if you're looking at going, if you're looking to go out on your own, definitely seek out an experienced support group. It will help you tremendously. Duly noted. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for coming on and you know telling us about your life. And we're really excited to continue to connect and watch all the growth that um, you know is to come for you. So with that being said, Karen, Absolutely. thank you so much for coming on. It has been a pleasure. Yes, same here. Thank you guys so much for having me. Absolutely. The pleasure is all ours. Have a great day. You too.